Corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. in my back so the song that you're hearing uh, for those of you who live under a rock is formation by the one and the only beyonce from houston texas which is also where i'm from so only great things come out of houston also lizzo so let's just pull in a soft hello welcome to 2020 houston is great and we are so excited to be back with you here on interstice and more importantly we're excited to celebrate the second new year of the year double the new year double the fun This time we get money, though. That's the best part. I think that's what that's where the first New Year really just screws up. I ain't getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I think we need to give context on that. Why do we get paid for the second New Year? I think you have the better story, Tina. Why don't you tell us why you get all that cash? Okay, okay, okay. So uh, Lunar New Year, a.k.a. Um, what people may know as Chinese New Year, um, but to be more inclusive, because not just China celebrates this holiday, um, Asia does. So Lunar New Year, because it follows um, the moon. And when I was a kid, my mom would tell this story of how the the 12 zodiac signs, which are animals, came to be. And so the story starts with a long, long time. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> galaxy far, okay. far away. Um, the Jade Emperor uh, of that time wanted to have, you know, guards guard the heavenly gate. And um, he organized this race for um, the animals to, um, you know, fall in line to where, wherever they landed in the race. Okay. And um, this race ended up being won by the mouse, the rat who was like super cunning and then crossed the finish line riding on the ox's back and that's how he became first in in um, the 12 zodiac signs which are rat ox tiger rabbit dragon snake horse goat monkey rooster dog and pig Um, and i don't know how money comes into play with this but (laughs) we do get um Money in the form, you know, in the form of a red envelope. And um, that's how you get paid. As a kid, you would be so rich, like, with all these red envelopes. Um, but there is some, like, like uh, etiquette yeah. around money giving and receiving. Does, yeah. Does anyone know what the etiquette is? Well, in Vietnamese culture, if you're a child, you have to bow and you say Happy New Year's in Vietnamese, which is, oh, I can't say it. It's like, I'm probably butchering it right now. If we have any Vietnamese listeners on this, please don't judge me. <laughs> that sounded good to me. 
but yeah, that's the that's the culture. Is you bow and you say that, and then you hold your hand out, and then you get a red envelope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Chinese culture, very similar. Yeah, bow, double hand receive, and then you say Happy New Year. Um, I'm Cantonese, so it's Gong Hei Fa Choi, and then the second phrase is Lai Si Daoloi, which is like Give me that money. <laughs> Uh, but 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 then there's also like this etiquette of who gives, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think you you keep getting it. I don't know. I still get it. <laughs> yeah, until you get married. So the trick is just don't get married ever. <laughs> then you can spend it on your cats, you unmarried shrew. I'm just kidding. No, totally fine. Unmarried life, reap those benefits. I uh, want to ask what what are y'all's um, what are y'all signs? What's your zodiac sign? What's your zodiac <laughs> sign, ladies? And so for who, those of us who are not in the know, we've got a special guest who's near and dear to our heart in the studio. Her name is Paula Lay. Woo! And Paula. some fun facts about Paula is that she is a loving dog slash hedgehog mom. Uh, I think she's just a general animal lover, very admirable spirit. Um, she is a maker of clay stuff, and I'm sporting, if you can, I, I don't think they're clinking into the mic, but some clay earrings, some uh, bespoke Paula earrings, and she's also uh, a lover of all things wholesome. So Paula has probably just the warmest, most amazing heart. It also means I cry easily. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fine because she's also quite fiery because the last fun fact here is that she loves hot Cheetos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, another fun fact is that I think Paula has a lot to be thankful for Tina for because Tina is the reason that we've got hot Cheetos here in our <laughs> local studio. Um, and they have just become a 2.30 necessity to my life. So thank you, Tina, for persevering and getting us hot Cheetos. Yeah, uh, if you guys didn't know, the reason why we have hot Cheetos is thanks to Tina. <laughs> Origin stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like to take credit for teamwork things but this one I I will because <laughs> I would like to go down in history for for that uh, oh oh yeah also pro tip if you have the new computers with that like touch ID and and, and you know it's on the right side of the computer um, don't eat your hot Cheetos with your right hand but then Paula has this great way of not getting your your hands red like your fingers red when i eat it at home i use chopsticks but i've seen derek on our team the security team use um they're not espresso uh, coffee stirrers as chopsticks to eat hot cheetos that's very clever yeah something stick like yeah it, it's it, it's my favorite. And the other method I could say is just pour them down your face. <laughs> <laughs> always an option. Uh, Which is always. So what is your sign, Tina? What's, oh, girl, what's your sign? I'm a snake. You're a snake. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I'm cunning and I'm resourceful. And uh, it just so happens my older brother is a rat. So um, our, our interplay, so... You or so him? my yeah, or so <laughs> my my parents say is that we're always kind of at each other's like tail, and we've got this like weird dynamic where we're trying to one up each other. But through that, we learn. I don't know. That's what my parents say. But I'm a snake, and also corresponds. I am house Slytherin. So, <laughs> what's your sign, Paula? I am a uh well. It's a sheep, sometimes it's a ram, and sometimes it's a goat. Uh, So I guess the Zodiac thinks it's all the same thing, but 
from what I understand, those are different animals, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last, last time I checked. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, uh, well, whatever the year I'm born in, it, it could be all of that, just depending on the website you're looking at. So mm-hmm. the one I'm looking at right now says I'm a sheep. And it says I'm cordial um, and nice to everyone, even strangers. Which sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, Paula, out of our friend group, is the friendliest one. So if you want to get... If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. And Paula <laughs> is an easy way. So she's just, I don't know, Paula, I adore you. And you are just the most warm-hearted person. Oh, my weaknesses, though, it says I'm emotional, indecisive, mm. have poor subjectivity. <laughs> and we'll just skip all that. Yeah. yeah, can we just, for the record, being emotional is not a bad thing. No, it's not. Being passionate, being a little bit bossy, these aren't bad things. No, mm-hmm. definitely not. Yes, absolutely. So I love uh, zodiac signs too. Just I love, if you know me, I just love zodiac signs, mysticism, horoscopes. I don't like believe in them per se because they're all just generic enough that they make us feel like we're whatever. But they just are a great way for us to l- learn and uncover and think about ourselves in that way and think about them in a way that helps us to relate to one another. Which I think uh, when when I uh, think about my 2020 resolutions. One of my personal goals this year is to be a little bit more authentic to who I am and defining what that authenticity means to me. So, uh, I, and, and it's just like I want to be more representative of not only like my beliefs, but who I come to as as an employee of, at an organization and feeling comfortable about all of those things that I am that make up my whole. What are some of your New Year's resolutions? Um, let's see. I have. I have a few, but I think one of them is um, kind of similar to yours, which is just being more of myself, uh, whether that is, you know, at home or at work. I think like I kind of mentioned earlier, I am generally like the nice person, uh, very chipper. And um, this year, I just kind of want to be a little more candid. And if I'm not feeling well, you know, I think I'll show that and that should be okay. Yes. Yeah. In addition to that, I just want to be a better adult. Although, like, be healthier, eat healthier, work out more, etc. Yada, yada. <laughs> the normal 20-something things. Yeah. <laughs> or I since 1990-something for me. You know, forever. And you're wanting to be an adult since I was a child. <laughs> and now that I am one, I'm like, ooh, this is a bunk deal. Hmm, okay, so for, for myself, 2020, I also share in the same goal with Ploy to, you know, understand what it means for me personally to be authentically me um one thing that I've struggled with uh since high school I believe and college more more intensely is my identity as a Chinese American Mm -hmm. in America and understanding what that means and then also what I want to have um be defined for myself um it I think we're all, you know, children of immigrants here. Um, uh, there, there's that added layer of what that means for our cultural identity, um, and yeah, just trying to search for and then also cultivate um, who I am. It's always been a journey. I, I think I struggle with it every day and trying to figure out what that is for me. Yeah, I think. Being Asian American, being specifically Vietnamese American has become, well, let me put it this way. Uh, I grew up in, in California and I grew up in a very heavily Asian and Latino neighborhood. 
Um, so I was a majority when I lived there. And then when I moved to Austin a few years ago, that was when I kind of realized like, oh, I'm Asian. Like that's, that's a part of me and it's a, it's a part of my identity. Um, so it's been a journey just learning to embrace that in a way, but also, um, I don't know, just figuring that out too. Yeah. Okay, Paula, I wanted to touch on mm -hmm. something that you said. You said, um, I'm Asian, and you said it with such confidence and gusto, which I really love. But what do you think, in your opinion, is the difference between you, you know, describing yourself as I'm Asian versus like I'm Asian American or I'm Vietnamese, I'm Vietnamese American? Mm, yeah, good question. I think because I, I, I do respond differently depending on where I am. Um, so for example, I do consider myself Asian American. I'm born in America, you know, this is my home. Um, but when I went and traveled around in uh, Thailand last year, um, every taxi driver that we had would ask us like, where are you from? And I'd say, I'm from America. And then I got a bunch of responses, but some of the funniest ones were, well, you look Asian, which I am, I do look Asian. <laughs> and then another one I got was, why are you Asian? Why are you Asian? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Why are you Asian? Like you had a choice. It's like, yeah. Why are you, why are yeah. It's like, yes, I look Asian and I am Asian. Um, but yeah, it goes back to having to explain that, oh, you know, my parents are from Vietnam and they immigrated to America. I was born in America. And so I am Asian American. Mm hmm. I, I love that concept, in, in, not concept, but I love how it touches upon concepts of like home and belonging and identity because, yeah, I share that same experience um, and just in like different stories where I'll go back to uh, China where my parents are from and, and were, were raised and born um, in Guangzhou, a.k.a. Canton, and with my family if we'd go around and meet people, I'd say I'm American. And then, you know, when I'm here in the States, mm -hmm. I say I'm Chinese. Also, kind of rarely do I say I'm Chinese American. It's almost like I assume that it's a given mm -hmm. somehow. Um, but then those labels also made me think about where, like, where do I feel I belong? I go back to the motherland. I don't feel like I belong. I'm here and I'm not part of like a, a majority nor like white normative culture. So I feel like I don't belong anywhere sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's this expectation that um, I feel like when I do visit Vietnam, which I've only visited once, so maybe not, but you feel like you should belong, right? But then when I'm there, I definitely do not feel like I fit in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that every time I go. I'm going back to Thailand, I'm Thai this this year. And you tell me the story. I was like, it sounds like something a Thai person would say. <laughs> I, I, because, I, yeah, whatever. Uh, so I'm going back to Thailand this year. And every time I go back there, I just, I stand out like one, I, I think I stick out like a sore thumb in America, but I really stick out in Thailand because I'm like really absurd uh, dressing. I'm very flamboyant as a person. So uh, it's really interesting to just kind of see where that mel meld is. And sometimes it doesn't meld. Sometimes it makes me feel even more isolated. So uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I grew up in Houston. And um, while Houston is a, real, is a pretty diverse city, I grew up in the suburbs of Houston where I was one of maybe five Asian kids that they just kind of shoved, tried to shove us all together and be friends. But 
you guys be friends you, you all look similar you all look similar mm-hmm. okay honey um but i think for a, a majority of my youth i spent at, at odds with my asian-ness because i just thought it would be like i'm already so so weird so different so outspoken it would just be easier if it was just if i was white because then that was would be one less way for another person to attack me mm. oh okay yeah fighting words mm-hmm. um like attack at odds those are those are the feelings and situations that i feel that i've actually always am in other than you know actually doing it as a martial artist um i uh, also grew up in a predominantly asian and latino community in los angeles and i was always part of the majority and then i went to usc and boy was that totally different and I found myself in this fight for my identity that I didn't even know I was a part of Mm -hmm. that I was like fighting myself and trying to belong to this culture and this identity that I thought was just being American and it hurt me Mm -hmm. it hurt me and it, it took me a while to wake up and see that I can say, you know, I'm Asian American with confidence and be proud of that. It took a while. I'm yeah. still struggling with it. Yeah. I think the one way that we generally bridge, because I'm going to just replay you every um, conversation that I have when people uh, meet me. Hi, I'm Ploy. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Steve. Nice to meet you, Ploy. Where are you from? <sighs> I'm Thai. I love Thai food. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Literally, you can just copy that. You can edit out Steve's name, and that's every conversation that (laughs) I have ever had. (laughs) How people introduce them to me. But I I think, and food is so big in Asian culture too. And it is one way that I think people relate because everyone needs to eat. We can Mm -hmm. have a whole episode about the importance of good food. Um, but Tina and I are are snobs. For anyone who eats lunch with us, we just are just snobs about food and I you know what I ain't sorry about it um we do not hold back (laughs) but one thing that we are not snobs about and something that we both enjoy a lot and much to a lot of people's surprise is Panda Express love Panda Express oh so good (laughs) Panda Express is like forever in my heart (laughs) and I think with what you guys were saying about um well, Ploy, you mentioned, like, wishing that you could be more white. Mm-hmm. Like, Panda Express is a good example of um, Chinese food trying to assimilate into America. Yes, yeah. I, um, I love telling this story because I think it's a success story. Um, so, Panda Express, right? Fast food restaurant, what could be more American? Also. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, drive throughs right? But... I think one thing that people may not realize because you know maybe you don't spend your time uh, ruminating on fast food culture and what Panda Express means to Asian Americans is that Panda Express is unapologetically Asian American food, Asian American cuisine. It's not Chinese cuisine. You take back then, like before Panda Express became you know worldwide, you take orange chicken back to China, they'd be like, what is this. <laughs> so is orange chicken not a Chinese dish? Uh, it's not a Chinese dish. It's an Asian American dish. Uh-huh. And how it was made, it was originated in America? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously they borrow flavors from traditional Chinese cuisine, but it, 
you know, orange chicken is a cuisine of survival. Like, in the, the, in the sense that in trying to assimilate and belong in American culture, they have tailored Chinese food to the American palate and then thus born um, Asian American cuisine, which we call um, in Cantonese wamei. Um, which is like wa means like um, Asia, Asian, and then mei um, from meigol, which is or meigol, which is um, America. And this came about when um, Chinese immigrants from the South, which is where I'm from, um, Canton, or my parents are from. See, these lines are getting blurred again. <laughs> um, they arrived in America seeking employment for. Um, the railroads, and then once the railroads were completed, um, they were looking for work, and then then were denied work from the Chinese Exclusion Act, which is the first law implemented to prevent all members of a specific ethnicity or national group from coming to America, and thus restricting employment opportunities. So then from that, um, People are like, well, we got to make our own opportunities. And thus businesses came, came about. And then food, which Ploy said is such a big part of our culture. Restaurants were owned and started. And then Chinese food was adapted to the American palate. And then boom, you got chicken candy, which is chicken what Ploy calls it. Yes. Orange chicken, Panda Express. I had John also calls it the devil bear because I want it so much. <laughs> Every time I like am hungry or hungover, I'll just shoot a look and he'll be like, not Panda. <laughs> just not, don't, I don't want to go get Panda. But those like, those like flavorless, um, like soggy noodles are just not soggy. They're kind of dry. They're like they're s- such an immaculate uh, <laughs> mouthfeel. Chewy? Ploy, did you go yesterday? I did. <laughs> I, I did. I had to or else the want would be too much. I knew it was going to come today, so I just, I had to prepare myself. <laughs> Get some chicken candy. And I think in in terms of, of that, I love hearing that story because it's like that's how you get into what is mainstream culture and I think that's where we like I feel like a lot of Asians aren't like well represented in in just like not saying like more panda expresses should become a thing but let's but we can we can dive into other forms of media right yeah, like yes. art movies and mo- tv movies mm-hmm. exactly and i i think uh, recently we have seen so much more representation for asian americans asian in general in movies and stories that are not martial arts based not kung fu based which you know i love because being a martial artist, like I'm all for it, but we need a wider range of representation. Not yeah. all Asians are, you know, well equipped with the martial arts. Yeah, I think um, last year a couple movies came out that starred Asian Americans. Crazy Rich Asians was mm-hmm. one of them. Um, mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about that movie? I liked it. I liked I it too. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I cried a lot. I love the scene where they're showing off the food. Like the matriarch is walking in there. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I don't have people cooking for me at that scale, but it seems like a celebration of food. And then the mahjong scene at the end was, to me, what I felt like it's okay that I'm not Asian. 
um, I'm Asian American and I have my own identity. I have my own culture. Okay, I'm turning to look at Ploy. I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. And it's like I I went into the theater hyped for for this movie. I was so excited, and I walked out, and I was like, oh, I'm so. I'm so disappointed in this movie. And I think it was because, like, I, it, it took me a while to unpack my own disappointment. Um, but I think whenever I, I watched that movie, I wanted this movie to, to blow me away, like Joy Luck Club. Like, I watch Joy Luck Club when it's like, I need to get tied to my ancestors and I gotta cry. Like, that's what I love watching Joy Luck Club for. And I wanted it to, like, live up to that hype in my brain. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's, it's just a rom-com. It's just, and then I was like, why do I, why am I so mean about this movie? And then it, I like, it was like a light bulb moment where like, I think I tiger mommed this movie. You totally tiger mommed this movie. <laughs> it was not good enough. <laughs> it's not good enough. <laughs> it's absolutely not good. But it, but it, I, like, okay, I can, I am a mature and 2020 ploy. So I understand that it is a very important and wonderful movie. Henry Golding, if you're hearing this, give me a call, yeah. honey. Um. <laughs> Johnny, but, close your ears. <laughs> Johnny, close your ears. Oh, whatever. Yeah. He knows. Cole, like forever. <laughs> Who doesn't want a little piece of that? So I, <laughs> I was, I was moving on. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I would say another movie, like that, I did enjoy was um, Always Be My Maybe. I also liked it, but I also love rom coms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's. Um, I was really excited for both movies before they came out because it starred people who looked like me and it was a whole cast of um asian americans or i don't know were they all asian american um yeah i guess yeah, so, cause Keanu, yeah. Keanu Reeves is part chinese too he right? is yeah, yeah. so Damn. yeah so I, part of me felt obligated to to like it maybe and maybe that's why i like it but i also am a, a sucker for rom-coms yeah i liked always be my baby didn't like crazy rich asians and i think the difference was that i don't like rich asians but if you're poor <laughs> Like Randall Park's character and Always Be My Maybe. I can really resonate with that and how I was brought up. Yeah, like, we're Asian, but we're not all rich. There's a huge... There's Yeah, like, in China in general, I mean, uh, I I don't want to speak for other Asian countries, but there's a huge disparity of wealth there. Um, so it's it's not pervasive like that. Um, so I think that's what you're you're touching on, right? Like we're not all rich like that. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it's not realistic. And I love that in that in always be my maybe specifically like she, the food plays. Uh, like it's a secondary part but it also plays a really important part to Ali Wong's character um, because I don't want to spoil anything but like she she then she moves from fine dining which is like uh, cooking for I think a a elite um, western audience into um, something that's a little bit more home style is what I would call something that resonates with if you've ever had like someone's auntie (laughs) cook for you or your grandma cooking it it tastes like that where it tastes like home yeah I I can go on and on about like why Chinese food or in in always be me always be my maybe how like ethnic food is not fine dining and why that is and why fine dining is traditionally like French or Italian and why that's expensive versus Chinese food like Panda Express like Chinese again like 
people think that Panda Express is Chinese food, but I just I just created this like different lens on it being Asian American cuisine. But how that's so cheap. Like you can, you know, my I, my dad um, is a waiter or is now retired, but like for a long time I was a waiter in a Chinese restaurant, and how lunch specials were like six ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So should be cheap. Yeah, yeah, and the value that we place on on different food um, has wider implications. Yeah. I think in, even in that movie, you got to see, I, I love Ali Wan's character in that movie really specifically because it's just like, oh, what does it take for her to move into being actually who she is in the field at which she excels at, which is cooking, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we apply that, same sort of logic here. We're talking, Tina, about bringing our authentic selves more into the work we do and the presence we have. Um, it's about so- sometimes deconstructing the things that hold us back, right? Mm-hmm. So in that deconstruction, like, how do we move the needle to where we want to go? It's a hard question. Yeah, that is hard. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, most importantly, it's especially uh, coming again from an Asian-American point of view, there's some things that I think we might have common, some stereotypes that we might have commonly heard about that affect uh, Asian Asian folks really specifically, and the first being uh, that we are a model minority. Yeah. Is that why you didn't like crazy rich Asians necessarily? Because they were all, like, successful rich yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think mm-hmm. that's part of unpacking because it's just like such a such a trope, right? And uh, it for enables that stereotype. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is the model minority. Um, let's let's define that. What is that for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, the model minority is a myth that characterizes Asian Americans as a polite, law-abiding group of people with a higher level. Ex- of success than the general population due to a combination of innate talent, quote unquote, and uh, pull yourselves up for your bootstraps, immigrant striving. And the the thing that I think is really negative about being, it, it, I think when you hear it at first, it's like, wow, why why wouldn't you want to right. be a model minority? Yeah, it sounds like a positive thing, right? Mm-hmm. Almost, yeah. Yeah, but it's not, it's mm-hmm. a stick. Yeah. Or with like any yeah. stereotype, there are negative implications, I think. Uh, yeah, down with stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it sounds sounds positive, but actually like very damaging um, and quite negative as, as a lot of stereotypes are. Um, I think also I've heard it used as evidence for the American dream and how Asians as this quote unquote model minority, like they've made it this is evidence that America is the land of like all opportunity. It doesn't matter where you come from, that you can make it. Um, that, you know, everyone starts at the, the, this rat race at the same place. And we know that that's not the case. That's not true. Um, and I, I think it also somehow has this argument um, built into the term model minority where it separates us still separates us where it kind of puts us in our own bucket Mm -hmm. where we are still a minority but we don't really fit in with other minorities Mm -hmm. because you know we're generally there's we have higher education their family rates I don't know this is all I'm reading off some stats right now okay. <laughs> yeah. fact check fact yeah. check yeah but yet we're still not uh, good enough to 
be included in non the group of non-minorities the, the white people yeah, yeah. exactly mm -hmm. and i think that speaks to our career development really specifically because it's like uh it's it's about Asian Americans, if we round up, take a, uh, are about 6% of the population. But um, I love this uh, NPR um, interview with Wesley Yang, who is a uh, journalist. He says, the further up you go within a company's organizational structure, the more white and male it is, mm. the less minority, the less females are, are at those organizations. Um, and it's really a matter of these daily small transactions that attack that exact a toll on women and minority groups. So uh, there are power structures that exist that, if not acknowledged and if not uh, taken into account, uh, they really start to push out women and push out minority groups. And you can see that because I think if you look at like the swath of even Fortune 100 companies, like how many of those uh, are Asian? Um, business people and most importantly how many of them are asian women mm -hmm. this is the bamboo ceiling yeah mm -hmm. what's that paula okay so the definition of the bamboo ceiling it's a derivative of the glass ceiling if you are familiar with that which is an invisible barrier that keeps women and minorities from from climbing up the ladder because of certain biases right implicit bias mostly not not explicit not like overtly harmful but just implicit bias uh the bamboo ceiling is kind of a branch off of that that is um, a little more specific to asian americans so i'm going to read the definition it's a combination of individual cultural and organizational factors that impede asian americans specifically from career progress yeah yeah and, and that really hits home for us too, right yeah because like, if you think about it there are a lot of Asian Americans in the professional workforce, right? Like in Silicon Valley, where I grew up, it was, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but there are a lot of Asian Americans in the tech industry specifically, but not a lot in, in management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to quote this um, Harvard Business School report, which we'll be sharing out to y'all. Um, and in the article, it says that um, Asian Americans are the least likely racial group to be promoted into Silicon Valley management and executive levels, even though they are the most likely to be hired into high-tech jobs. And yeah. the three of us are Asian American women working in tech. Mm -hmm. And to read the statistics, it's uh, disheartening. Yeah, it's disheartening. Yeah. Um, so we can get our foot through the door easily, and it sounds like a lot of us do. We just struggled to climb up the ladder. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, why do you think that is? Hmm. Hard, another hard <laughs> question. You asked some really hard questions <laughs> on Interstice. Yeah, it's yeah. a hard question. And I think it's about, I think it's about implicit bias. I really think it, it's what it is. Um, be, and, and also, to, like, understanding what it means to have, like, a diversity and inclusion, like, um, agenda you know, mm -hmm. and it needs to include cross, like, intersectionalism, like, not only just women, but Asian women, black men, black women, like, it needs to also include, you can't erase race from the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I like this quote where in the, in the same Harvard Business article report, it says, if you do not intentionally include, you will unintentionally exclude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I've, mm -hmm. I've, I feel like I've always kind of like unconsciously felt that, but could not have put it into better words. Yeah, exactly. Because this goes back to us kind of being in our own bucket where we're not exactly uh, 
we're not exactly non-majority, but we're also not exactly the majority, right? So there aren't any programs in place, really, um, like you see with other people of color, mm -hmm. to, to raise them up to, to move up the organization. Because right? model minority, mm -hmm. right? Yes. There's this perception that we're doing great. Mm -hmm. We're doing fine. Why do I need to help you and why do you need to get there? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, this isn't to say there aren't, like, professional groups. I think uh, LEAP is one of them. I think it's, like, uh, I can't remember the acronym. Why do I always do this to myself? Um, but I'll, I'll post it in our, our selection. Yeah. I'll, I'll include it. But it, they do do a lot of workshops for how, uh, to, how to, to think about, as an Asian-American person, scaling up that ladder. Um, and I think part of that is I'm right now rereading The Art of War by Sun Tzu because like what an interesting leadership um, leadership book. Uh, there's a really great website that I like uh, that does a good job of like de decomp decompiling it. But uh, I like this book because a lot of these are just they're little stanzas that serve as philosophies that you can apply as you go into things like negotiations or go into things about your career conversations as we enter 2020. So um, my favorite is chapter uh, eight here, uh, which is a variation in tactics. Um, and it, one of the things that's like, one of the things that, that are in here is these eight, uh, eight philosophies that you can then apply to um, how you want to lead or become a leader. And then know, knowing what you like have to uh, provide upwards to, it's like having those conversations. I mean, I know what I'm worth and I know what I have to provide. And I also know the train, I know the planning, I know the strategies that I want to um, employ in those difficult conversations about building us up into, into like up the ladder break that bamboo ceiling or catch it on fire i don't <laughs> care i literally don't care how you destroy burn it, it. Down. yeah burn it down <laughs> yeah i mean going back to when we were talking about using words like at odds or like fighting like the 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 thing about like fighting for yourself and how important that is um and then bringing it back to the art of war like how can you fight for yourself in the best way if you don't know what you're fighting against mm -hmm. and this goes back to implicit bias right like almost um, as much as it is about um educating others about this bias it's also undoing the the ones that you may be holding on to that you don't even know yeah. about because i think at least in i was raised to just keep my head down and work hard mm -hmm. and um just assuming that working hard will pay off eventually, right? Like the reward will come if, as long as you just do the good work. Um, but I think in what needs to be learned is that not only do you have to work hard, but you need to speak up for yourself and stand up for yourself and fight for yourself. And you, sometimes you need to ask for that promotion or ask, um, which I think is not part of my nature and not necessarily part of my culture as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to do that, to come, to be that direct and straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, uh, in speaking to our hopefully, uh, I, I hope my red envelope this year is stuffed with good career growth <laughs> as well as money, which, I mean, they can come tandem. I don't care. Um, but I want to see, maybe we can read off our our horoscopes for this year. Yes. See, see, Let's see what lay in store, ladies. Yeah, because uh, Paula and Ploy are both goat, sheep, ram. Goat, sheep, ram. <laughs> 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 okay, so... For us, for the GOAT for 2020, uh, this year predicts a year full of good surprises, especially in your career and social life. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, however, the stars can also throw some obstacles your way. Oh. That's bad. Mm, yeah. 
So we'll see. <laughs> well, y'all are formidable foes to obstacles, so I know y'all can tackle it. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> nice coming from a snake. Yeah. <laughs> Tina, do you want me to read your horoscope? Yes, please read it okay. to me. <laughs> so 2020 predicts that your personal evolution will be highlighted by the stars this year. You'll discover new things that interest you, and you'll better understand the direction of your destiny. I have a destiny? And you'll better understand it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We all have destiny. Not bad. Not bad for 2020. Great uh, destiny. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'll take it, Paula. It's only January. Awesome. Oh, wait. We have a treat today. Yeah, so I think in in honor of Lunar New Year, which is, again, another a, a second round of new beginnings, if you failed your first set of resolutions... Uh, you can just restart them. I won't tell anybody <laughs> if you want to restart them here after this Saturday. Um, something uh, that I brought for this show is we're going to do a special ASMR version of Interstice. I brought some fortune cookies. From Panda Express. From Pandy. I did go to Pandy last night, so I got these. <laughs> these fortune cookies are my excuse to go to Pandy. Best Pandy ever. Okay. Ooh. 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 ASMR. Whoa. Okay. Let's see. When I was little, I would tell, tell people, it's like, okay, the what you, what you should do is you should try to take the fortune out of the cookie, uh, like if you can get the paper out of the cookie and read it. So if you don't like your fortune, you just throw the cookie away. <laughs> if you don't eat it, you don't commit to the fortune. <laughs> okay, let's see. What lays in, what lays in store? Wow. Okay. Well, I think these are like a little bit more like fortunes. I, I think that was like a little bit of a bitter point, right? Fortune cookies are a completely American uh, invention, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what it's better okay. place to get them from Panda Express? So Paula, have you opened your cookie? Mine's not really a fortune. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. It says you have a knack for making friends wherever you go. Ooh. Okay. That kind of ties back to things we were talking about at the beginning of yeah. this episode. Uh, yeah. My sheep stuff. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Me? Yeah. Okay. You will be called upon to celebrate the good news. Oh man, I turned this around and I thought that I was gonna get lucky numbers to do lotto. Oh there yeah. aren't. <laughs> okay, what's going on, Panda Express? I know. Don't they want us to make <laughs> not <money>. liable. <laughs> not liable for lotto results. Uh, mine says you have a knack for putting yourself in other shoes. Oh, oh so I would say that's true. I would Empathy. have the both of yeah. the sheep have knacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. And then um, the snake has a gear of good fortune. <laughs> I think. It says I, you will be called upon to celebrate good news. So I'm in service of someone. Oh, someone else's good news. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're yeah. in. But you're part of the celebration. I'm part of the mm -hmm. celebration. Okay. Yeah, you okay. can bring all those wontons you made. Oh, yeah, I did make a lot of those, they yeah. Look, they looked so good. Oh, thank you. We'll do a recipe good. version of okay. Interstice, and we're going to just rattle off dumpling recipes. Yes, 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 yes. Awesome. So I think in terms of, like, in terms of this year, really, just, ladies, what are you, what are you hopeful for, for everything this year? Like, not just you and not just your growth, but what are you looking forward to in 2020? I do want to touch back on like the whole fighting for yourself because yeah. I think it's really important to not only fight yourself but also just be more aware right we can all just be better people if we are aware of our own biases or can empathize and um, understand someone else's pain um, so 
Yeah, I think it's not just about fighting for yourself, but also just being able to understand where others are coming from as well. Yes, yeah. It's not always a who that you're fighting against, Mm -hmm. but it could be a what. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's, you know, systemic oppression, implicit bias. And then I know that I'm not the only one who's fighting this battle. And so I try to look over and see who are my allies and, you know, understanding someone else's pain and knowing, you know, everyone's on their own journey and people experience different things. How can we connect as, you know, humanity and, and, um, move forward. Yeah. Mm. 2020 is about lifting yourself up and lifting others up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is it scaling yeah. that fucking ladder mm-hmm. and then pulling everybody else up too? Cause you yep. can, and it feels good. It feels good to help other people. It does. It does. It does. I, I think, um, I hope for this year, I, much along the lines of what you're saying, Paula, I hope this is a year of great and radical empathy. Uh, we're coming up on a hot election year, hot year of, of decade of reflection. Um, now it's time to take the lessons that we learn and apply them and, and, and knit them into the fabric of our heart in terms of each of us being flesh and blood, biped mammals with mm-hmm. thumbs. And, and now that y'all know, you can't unknow. Exactly. Yes. And so now you're aware of the bias. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like you learned about Rocco's basilisk last time. Now you learned about the bamboo ceiling and other implicit biases. And now you can't unlearn. You're part of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, wow. What another episode. Um, we're going to leave you with traditional Chinese lion dance um, music. And um, actually, yeah, the line dance. Oh, actually, no, Poi, you have a really good description. I could not have described it better. Can you can you explain to our dear listeners what lion dance is? Oh, what is the lion dance? Okay, so I want you to just close your eyes, everyone. Close your eyes, and I want you to picture this. Two best friends. Uh, they love to do everything together, and the one thing that they want to do is they want to hide a sweat under a nice, fuzzy, red dragon puppet. One is the face and gets all the glory, and one is the very important ass of this dragon. <laughs> and they are just plopping along in true acrobatic, lovely styling to the drum beats, getting some red envelopes, nom nom nom, delicioso, in their mouths. I hope that uh, was what you were That expecting. was a thousand percent accurate. <laughs> I just want to say that. Uh, and and the, the cool part is, like for me, is um, uh, lion dancing is very much part of martial arts culture. And, and back in the day in Canton, um, all the different martial arts schools would have their own lion dancing. Um, tr- like tribe, um, so so it, it takes a lot of skill and especially um, if you're the butt, right? Because you're yeah. bent over the whole yeah, time. You're bent yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes great strength and um, coordination and unity and, and community. So okay, I'm gonna leave y'all with this song. Enjoy. Thank you for tuning in.